Hi, this is Rachel on my cover. We've got a special guest, Perry Power. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself and then answer some questions for us. Perry, tell us about a little bit about yourself. Hey, so I, my name is Perry Power. I'm from the UK, just outside of London. I'm an actor. I'm a coach. I am an activist. I'm an author. I'm a writer. I'm pretty much, a, pretty much a lot of things, but they all fall under the same umbrella fighting for the same cause, which is to raise awareness, one, specifically on intrafamilial child sexual abuse, so sexual abuse that happens within the family. One could also call it incest. And then the other is to also help other people share their stories and to help people with providing them with a platform to share their story and create change. Okay. Um, so what things have you done for your recovery from your childhood sexual abuse? For my career? I know, I mean, for your recovery. Recovery, sorry, I misheard that. Uh, yeah, for my recovery... I'd say the, the, the biggest things to help me to be able to move forward within the healing process after child sexual abuse definitely comes down to first, which is what I say a lot of the times, which is breaking the silence to yourself first. And there's many different ways as possible and then to others. So it was breaking the silence to myself uh, by confronting my own story by confronting my own truth rather than running away from it, rather than taking off the masks. And forgiveness. I think forgiveness was the biggest thing, was uh, the biggest, the most difficult one to do, but then brought me the most healing. And I think a lot of people think that forgiveness, uh, you know, it's like an impossible task to do, but you're not forgiven the abuser, you're forgiven yourself. Well, sorry, you're not forgiven the abuser for them, you're forgiven them for yourself so that you can move forward. Uh, so those were the two biggest things I would say. Um, what has been the most helpful as far as treatment? Really, the most helpful, I would say, has been personal development. You know, I would like to say therapy or I would like to say counselling, but truth is I never got therapy. I got counselling when I was in high school, secondary school, but I don't remember 95% of it. And it wasn't very, it wasn't specifically for abuse. Like I remember some of the sessions and we very, I didn't even really remember her even talking about abuse or what happened or anything like that. For me, it was personal development um, and it was, reading books it was understanding that we aren't our voices our voices are separate to us and our thoughts are separate to us and it was continuing on a journey of growth because when you're on a journey of growth you you make a lot of mistakes and you hit a lot of roadblocks and then it tests whether you're resilient or whether you're gonna cower down and take a step back and not grow so i think that's the biggest thing for me um how did your family respond To the abuse itself, my stepmom was the one that caught it happening. She put a stop to it. She told my dad, and my dad told me to keep quiet. He told me to not talk about what happened at my nan's house. So the response really was essentially burying it. And then when it came to me sharing my story, um, my stepmom 
where everyone thought that the abuse that my stepmom caught, that that was the only time it happened. And it didn't happen for a year, year and a half prior to that, because I never led them to believe that was the case. So when I broke my silence, how they responded to it was shock. And then led by telling me that my dad was also a victim too. And telling me uh, that they support me. So luckily I got their support. Okay. Um, how did how did the community respond? For the most part, very well. Uh, very supportive. You know, I managed to get into, I've, I've gotten into quite a lot of local newspapers, local radio shows, and then national uh, news outlets. So support-wise has been great. Uh, you, you know, I've had my odd comments where, well, it's actually, actually now the more that my audience is growing is, is a bit more than the odd comment. So I do get uh, a few comments around he's lying. He's looking for his 15 minutes of fame or, you know, just stupidness or, um, he deserved it or he's actually gay, but he's, he's using the abuse as, you know, I've had, I got, I had an article come out on Yahoo maybe three, two, three weeks ago. And there was like four or five comments on there being like, he's gay, he's a faggot, he's queer, right? Or he's using the abuse because it was by a male as a way of coming out as gay. And I remember reading, I'm just like, what on earth are you even talking about, right? So in regards to the community, it's, it for the most part, 95% of it has been absolutely fantastic. It's been a mixture of support and it's been a mixture of people breaking their silence to me. And then the other 5% is just absolute bizarreness. Fair enough. Um, was there any re-victimization or victim blaming? Um, in regards to me? Yes. Re-victimizing myself, yeah. Um, I think... For the most part, I'd like to say no. I, I've definitely, the more that I started to share, we're talking a couple of years ago now, then I it started to unlock some memories of more of what happened, which then kind of brought me back to those feelings of like being a victim of living in silence. Um, but I'm fortunate enough, especially at that point, that I was on the path of personal development. I had a good support network around me and I had a caring girlfriend to, to help me through that. So I was lucky enough with that. And don't get me wrong, when it comes to other people, when I share my story, it does, some for some people, it does re-victimize them in their own words. Um, but that's out of my control because that's how they are responding to it, unfortunately. Um, how has this impacted your career? With when I first broke my silence, I was I had a business that was business coaching. So I'd work with fitness professionals to help them grow their online coaching business. Broke my silence and breaking starting to lead my story made me realize that I was not aligned with the business that I had. So, so in short, how it helped me in my career was it made me. It put me onto the path that I was meant to be on and it made me realize that the path I was on was wrong. So then it, as I started to share my story more, 
and more opportunities started to come my way, I realized that I needed to start wearing a particular hat. And that hat was a, of one of a leader. It was of one of showing up with my story and speaking out for others too. So responsibility is like continuing to be in news outlets, continuing to be on, on um, news shows and things of that nature. It then shifted from something that I wanted to do to then something I had to do because I had a responsibility now. And that then fed into my career because now, you know, I have a coaching business down where I work with survivors to help them write and publish a book in 60 days. But I only work with survivors. So that's just another aspect of how breaking my silence impacted my career because now everything I do is within the world of survivors. Okay. Um, Tell us about starting your nonprofit and your book. How did all that come about? So when I first started, well, no, maybe maybe two years after sharing my story consistently, my content then started to go viral. And I was connected at a time fairly new to an entrepreneur who lived out in San Diego. And she won like a business award and she was doing extremely well. And I watched a live facebook video of hers where she was talking about growing up in a satanic cult in a foster care home in the states and i reached out to her read a communication going and we joined forces to as well as with our other co-founder sam to launch a charity called we rescue kids so what we do there is we give mental health care support to child survivors of sexual abuse so we have that uh I'm now um, in the process of launching a charity in the UK called The Andy Project, Andy being after my dad's name, and that is specifically for male survivors of intrafamilial child sexual abuse. One, because there's hardly any support out there for male survivors, and two, there's like next to zero support out there specifically for intrafamilial abuse. Um, And then with the book, the book came about because I was looking for a different way of sharing my story through a different medium and I was second two episodes into the Jeffrey Epstein documentary on Netflix and they were talking about how they were just trapped living in silence and it it, I was just thinking about right I'm gonna put that into a book and then I wrote the book in 30 days and then release it February 2021 okay yeah I've read I read your story in that it was actually really good so appreciate that um how has this impacted your dating life it's always an interesting one i for the most part i think i think sexual abuse impacts many people within their relationships a hell of a lot more than it's impacted me and i'm fortunate for that and i could that could be done to uh, uh various reasons I think the issues that I do have is I do have abandonment problems and I know that much and I I still do. Uh, I remember when my ex left me, when I say I became suicidal, I mean big time suicidal. Um, And that is, you know, that's going to be rooted to my mom leaving when I was four. That's going to be rooted to my dad dying and leaving when I was 21. But I believe that's also going to be to you know, feeling like I was abandoned. My truth was abandoned. 
um, when I was going through that sexual abuse and then I was living in silence and I wasn't getting the love and support that I wanted to from my dad. And that is that all falls into abandonment. So I think that abandonment does come into um, the has fallen into relationships when it comes to attachment. When I feel like I see red flags, then I get too attached because I don't want those red flags to lead to then a relationship breaking up because then that triggers my fear of abandonment. Fair enough. Um, how has this impacted your overall health long-term? Um, I think, I don't know. I haven't had checks done. I haven't, I do know that like the book, uh, by Bessel van der Kolk with body keeps score when you have trauma trauma does keep a score within the body and you can take control in different manners and different forms could that have happened to me maybe has it is it happening to me now maybe I don't know I haven't had those checks done so in regards to what I'm aware of it hasn't impacted my health and body in a negative way um it's you know I'm very passionate about fitness and very passionate about bodybuilding um but i think that's just something that's been an interest of mine because my dad was into bodybuilding so in regards to the linkage to sexual abuse i don't feel like there is too much of a connection there okay um how has this impacted your social life it impacted my social life growing up as a teenager because it caused me to wear masks in different environments around women around men uh, ultimately I was wearing these masks because if I wasn't, then that means I'm living as my true self. And if I'm living as my true self, then I'm, I'm living with the reality that I was abused as a child. And I was too scared to continuously confront that. So for me, my social life growing up, I was like a stifler from American Pie. That's basically what I based these masks off of. And for me to be that person means I was being somebody else and I was living in this alternate reality. Um, which in the moment felt great, but it soon catches up to you. And it caught up to me when I was roughly 20, 21 years old. And I was watching an interview with Lewis Howes and he was talking about his book, Mask of Masculinity. And Ellen DeGeneres was like, why, you know, why have you, uh, why did you write a book? And he said, because I was abused as a child and growing up, I was wearing these masks in order to fit in because I didn't feel like I was needed or wanted. And that for me was, huge and that's where i guess all of the healing processes started because i then had the awareness of the life that i was living okay um how has this affected your long-term mental health um i think it's affected it in a way that i'm so aware that I could be unaware of things within my mental health. Like, for example, when we go for abuse, I mean, we all have inner childs, whether we've gone for abuse or not. But especially if we've gone through abuse, the likelihood of our inner child still being wounded within us is very, very high. And because our inner child lives, lives within our subconscious, then it's like, well, you know, what, what, how am I living my life right now with the decisions that I'm making and the thoughts that I have? that I'm unaware are actually happening, that are actually sabotaging the way I'm showing up in this world because they're being controlled by a subconscious mechanism, i.e. the inner child, 
you know, and that part of me has been formed since the abuse. So I think short term is impacted it in ways where uh, like suicidal thoughts and like the depression, especially in my early 20s. I'm fine now in regards to depression, suicidal thoughts. I haven't had anything like that for years, which I'm blessed about. But um, it's definitely it's definitely made me be hyper aware that I need to be on a lookout for parts of my mentality and mindset that could still be wounded from uh, the imprinting growing up. Okay. Um, to other victims out there, what advice would you want to give them? Uh, step one is to break the silence to yourself. The reason why I say it to yourself instead of other people is because if you've been living in silence for 11 years and you have been mirroring this, these thoughts and feelings of shame, of fear, of guilt, of regret, and you're mirroring them to yourself in your internal world, and then you want to tell your brother, Dave, about the abuse. And for some reason, Dave doesn't believe you. Or for some reason, Dave pauses for a bit too long when you wanted him to respond straight away. Or anything of that nature. And you see red flags. And whether they're there or not, it doesn't matter. But you see red flags in their response. That can send you back into living in silence for the rest of your life. Because now you associate your story and your truth with rejection so my first thing which is probably the most important step is to break the silence to yourself in as many different ways as possible and then you tell other people so rather than telling your brother dave step one tell him step 12 and the first 11 times you you find a different way to confront your truth so one way could be writing a poem about the abuse step two could be writing a short story about what you went through as a child step three it could be going to a pottery class and making a cup but you but making a cup whilst releasing the emotions that you've had stored within you for so long through that so when you finish you have this physical representation of your truth and then step number four you draw a piece of art or you paint a picture that is a that is a representation of your story and every single time you do that you're confronting your story you're owning your truth so when it comes to then you telling your brother you're not telling them in hope of a particular type of reaction, you're telling them from a place of power, you're telling them because you need to get it off your chest. And that is the ultimate switch in power that you need to have. And then from there, you then want to start the healing processes, which I would say the biggest priority is finding forgiveness first within yourself. And then second, if you can with the abuser. Um, yeah, I recommend if you're trying to do forgiveness with your, abuser to check out dan allender book um the healing of the wounded heart or um he's got a couple other books out there but he's got a good steps for doing that so what was that book called healing with a wounded heart he's written two books they're very similar one was written in like the 90s and one was written in the last like five years And what was the um, the name? Dan Allen. Author's name? Dan Allender. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you. And he he does have a um, a week 
conference for male survivors. So, oh, so um, if you are ever interested in that, um, he's got one of the few that are out there for male survivors. So, cause he is as a male survivor. Cool. I'll so. check him out. Yeah. Um, what was the grooming process? Things like allow me to have chalk ices behind my dad's back because I needed to wait for dinner. And grooming is all the small things, you know, and it's all of the, the things that position the person as the hero in your story. So it was things like having chalk ices, basically ice cream before without anyone knowing. It was like going to the pub and when the barman wasn't looking, my step-granddad would allow me to drink his Guinness, right? It was buying me sweets, buying me chocolate. It was um, whenever my dad had had a go at me or somebody would have a go at me or I'm feeling down, he would then take me into the living room and watch cartoons and then he would make me come and sit on his lap, right, for comfort. But sitting on his lap would be one of the areas that he would fondle me and, and abuse me. Um, and that was pretty much it, but consistently, it was consistently with the treats. It was consistently with the lucky bag magazines. It was consistently with all these different things that would make me look forward to seeing him whenever I wasn't there above everyone else. Um, and when my dad's made me stop going around, sorry, my dad made me stop going around there. My dad then became the villain of the story because he stopped me from seeing the hero of my story. You know, and that's exactly what grooming is. Yeah. Um, sounds a lot like trauma bonding. Mm. Um, what did you do for self-care? Self-care, uh, journal, meditation. Read a lot of books. Uh, I had a dog. He was the best thing in the world. And she was a massive, massive part of my healing journey, having that comfort that, you know, having a comfort there. Um, and being part of like classes and masterminds with coaches, um, and mentors who would do trainings on like inner child healing work and meditative exercises, chakras and, and, vibrational frequencies and things like that all of those it brought together is, is definitely the things that really helped okay um how has this impacted your faith um faith i think for me i'm not a religious man uh, religious isn't i mean of course religious is something that's everywhere but religious religion isn't a huge huge driving thing in the uk you know it's not like massively so it's not a leading force in schools unless you go to a specific private school that is catholic or or uh, you know church of england school for example um so faith wise in that regard is pretty much non-existent um but faith in some type of higher power and I've had many conversations with with people, especially on podcasts, with with um, they've actually many been American who say, "Well, Perry, you know, you're talking a lot about 
faith with a higher power and spirituality you know one could also call that god you know and i'm like well that's very true you know and that and you know i think if i was exposed heavily to that way of being in that way to to that sort of path of faith then i probably would be believing god to be honest probably would be um but i think i think when when you go through traumatic events and when you go through entrepreneurship and you have no money and you're sleeping on the floor in your house because you can't afford to buy furniture and you're halving your meals with your dog it tests you yeah and you're like okay do i have faith right now that i'm going through this for a specific reason do i have faith in the fact that i went through sexual abuse for a specific reason because i could have just as much lived a different path and not gone down that road you know, so why did I go down that road? Why was I on the path of going down this road? So I think going through all of this has caused me to have faith, which has allowed me to build a lot of resilience, but had faith in some type of higher power, some type of spiritual presence that I'm going through this because I need to evolve, because I need to grow stronger, because when I get to the other side, I need to help other people through this. And also coupled with that, I'm going to be tested again. And if I can't get through this, then I have no hope on going through tougher challenges moving forward with my life. And I think faith has gotten me through the darkest of times, for sure. Okay. Is there anything else you would like to add? Um, I, I really want to enforce the whole message of breaking the silence to yourself first and then telling other people. I really want to... Um, reinforce again around the concept of forgiveness um and then i also want to just say that when you are somebody who's gone through abuse i think when you go out through life and you're going through new chapters of your story, there's there's going to be times that, that might resurface old wounds, that might open up new wounds, that might reveal certain things to you that, ne- that you never knew existed. And it's very easy to start falling back and um, regressing. Uh, but what I do want to say is, you know, we can just look at my dad. My dad was a victim of sexual abuse. He lived in silence. He became an alcoholic. He then had diabetes. He had high blood pressure. He had a heart attack at the age of 47. At not 48, 48, 47, 48. And he, if it was, if it wasn't the alcohol that killed him, then it would have been something else, right? Could it have been suicide? Maybe, you know, he was going down a dark path pretty quick towards the end. The reason why I'm saying this is because Many people who have gone through abuse growing up end up committing suicide. Many of them become drug addicts. Many of them become alcoholics. Many of them become sex addicts. Many of them become workaholics, right? If you're listening to this right now, or you're watching this right now, and you aren't, you're still alive, you aren't an addict, or maybe you are a recovering addict, but you are, i.e., on the path of helping yourself and trying to take control then just know that you are miles ahead of, you know, where you should be, the path that you could have taken. So be proud of yourself because you're a powerful survivor and soon you're going to become the warrior and a person who your past self, that inner child, is proud to be looking up to. 
Okay. Um, thanks, Perry. Um, I think that's it. Perfect. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. This is Rachel in Recovery. Um, always follow us on your favorite podcast on social media platform. And if you have any questions, always reach out to rachelinrecovery.com. Thanks. Thanks.